Hey guys, you're listening to the Everything Working Equitation podcast, hosted by Seth and Michelle Marshall and Bailey Yee. We will be providing you with training tips for horse and rider, working equitation news updates, and fun interviews with show managers, judges, competitors, and much more. To support this podcast, hit the follow button, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. If you have content requests or would like to be featured on our show, send us an email at everythingworkingequitation at gmail.com. Enjoy this episode. Now let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to part two of the Train to Win clinic coverage. If you haven't listened to the first one, you should go back and do that. We had a great interview with Jose Andreas Benito. And I want to start off with Seth. You were fortunate enough to get an extra ride while you were there. So why don't you tell us about that, who you rode, and whatever else you have. Yeah, absolutely. And before I jump into my ride, I know in the first episode we we did some thank yous. I would like to, in this episode, give special thanks to the entire international committee at USA We for their hard work and for arranging this wonderful event. I know I was really interested in getting more training and more of a clinic type setting after attending the judges seminar in, I think it was June of 23. And apparently the great minds over at the LOC and the international committee were thinking the same things. So this opportunity was only brought about by their hard work and them making this happen. And I know they're self-funded and so not having any previous, you know, funding to go off of and stuff like that. I mean, this was a big undertaking for them. So big thank you for that. And uh, special thanks to Kelly Campbell and Kiki Pantaz and Doreen Atkinson. Um, they, I know they all worked very hard. This event was in their backyard, so to speak. And so they were, you know, boots on the ground and organizing and making all these arrangements. So big, big thank you to them. Yeah. Great opportunity for all of us, just like we talked about in the first episode. But speaking of them being self-funded, just real quick is, can we tell everyone how you can help that out if you are interested in doing so? Oh, absolutely. They were selling the books that were provided to the writers and the interactive auditors. An amazing book included in inside that book are all of the criteria for what the scoring is like for each obstacle um, and the maneuvers. So if you want to know how to get a two on the gate, it'll say in there, you know, just picture me in, in next to it. Um, but, but they have the criteria. You know, if you ride the gate like this, it's a six. If you ride the gate like this, it's a seven. If you want a 10, this is what you have to do when you ride the gate. I mean, really just to my knowledge, the most comprehensive useful training guide out there right now for working equitation. So if you're interested in that, um, that's a great resource and something that they had for sale there at the clinic. And also they had a bunch of t-shirts made up and I'm not sure if they're going to be doing more, uh, more swag, more merch, or if the t-shirts are, are what they're going to stick with for now, but definitely send an email to international at usawe.org if you are interested in purchasing any of these. And it will go a long ways towards supporting future events and training for not just people interested in international competition, but for all of us 
you know, from level one all the way up through L7 so that we can keep getting top-notch training. I know that it was mentioned that the entire cost of each of these items you could purchase also was going directly back to the International Committee for developing these training opportunities. So that's a good place to put your money, like you said, for all of us. Yeah, not going into the, the general USA We Fund. It's going back into the International Committee and their projects. Seth, I know you got to ride Leetree, which we talked about in the first episode, but you got the opportunity to get in a ride you didn't really plan on. So tell us about that horse. Yes, and that was so exciting uh, for me to, you know, I, I know I have two lessons going in, and that was part of, you know, when you submitted, you you were getting the two lessons, and then there was an opening. Someone, someone chose to uh, not take a ride, and I, I actually don't know why that was, but but we had a ride available. And I had been very vocal about, you know, if any rides come open, I would like to take that opportunity if I if I can in any way. And it was very short notice, but a ride came open. And as I talked about in part one, Leetree was very tired. <laughs> and this was the day between his rides. And it's not that I absolutely wouldn't have ridden him, but I... He deserved the rest day. And when this was brought to me, I was very fortunate to be offered a ride on Late to the Party, which is a mare owned by Kelly Campbell. And she's currently showing in level six with Kiki. And wonderful, wonderful mare. I had the chance to ride her once back in September. Um, I was there riding a few of Kelly's horses and hopped on her and just played around a little bit. And she was lovely. And so I had the opportunity to catch this extra ride and hop on a horse that I'd ridden once before. And it was a blast. I mean, it really was so much fun. And uh, I will say I had to, (laughs) I had to borrow a saddle because the dressage saddle wasn't going to work. And I didn't bring any of my own saddles because I was, you know, riding a riding Lee tree. And so Amy Starr was very generous and loaned me her saddle. It's a Western saddle. It fit me well enough, fit the mare well enough. Only one minor issue was Amy's a little bit shorter than me. And so the stirrups were about jockey length and I had them on the very bottom hole. And I'm sure we, I'm sure we have a photo somewhere. Maybe that should also go on Facebook. But these these stirrups, I mean, my knees were up there. They were, yes. There's a, a bit of a height difference between you and Amy. But nonetheless, thank goodness you had a saddle. Yes, yes. So, so grateful to her for loaning me that saddle. And it really, it really allowed that ride to happen. And I tried not to, you know, make it an excuse. I tried to go out there and, you know, do my best to ride the mare and, and ride her how she should be ridden. Um, at least to the best of my ability. And so that was an awesome opportunity. And I loved that lesson so much. And it really gave me a chance to do some work that I couldn't do with Lee Tree. You know, Lee Tree's an amazing horse, but there's some work that he just, he is not prepared for. And so I got to work the flying changes on on party and work in the canter pirouette more and really delve into some of that stuff. And luckily, she also has an extended canner. A beautiful one. A big one. It was nice to watch. 
Yes, yeah. And that and the stock horse. I mean, she has the Australian stock horse. She's got the speed and the power. I mean, let me tell you, that's, you know, we have to really work for the collection. And then when it came time for that extended, it was just like, boom, it was there. I mean, so much power, so much forward. And you really, it really makes you understand what they have been bred for and, and how good they are for what they've been bred for. So it was, it was a really good ride. Very fortunate for that opportunity. And um, it, was, it was just so fun. Well, I understand you got to do an interview with the breeder of party, with the chair of the international committee, and with someone who really pulled this event together and made it happen of course alongside others but she really she really pulled out all the stops to make this event come together so why don't you tell us about that and let's hear it yes absolutely i was very fortunate to get to sit down with dr kelly campbell she is a veterinarian she's the international committee chair she breeds australian stock horses and supplied me this horse that i got to catch ride and it was a wonderful interview she was very talkative and very clear in in all of her answers and just really a really pleasant interview so looking forward to that and hope you guys enjoy it hello everyone we are sitting down today with kelly campbell uh, she is the host of the International Committee's Train to Win Clinic here in Weatherford, Texas. And we are having a great time out here at this event. And Kelly, how are you? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. It's been a long week. But it's been, it's been pretty rewarding so far. Been nice to, to get the food feedback that we've gotten, which has been, other than comments about some of the way the chicken was cooked, um, pretty positive. It's been... It's for the most part been very positive. Well, that's awesome. Well, first off, thank you for sitting down with us uh, or sitting down with me for the podcast. We have a lot of listeners who are very interested, obviously, in in this clinic and having Jose Benito here. Um, But before we get started talking about the clinic, why don't you give me some background and tell me tell me where what you do in horses and and what's got you here? Okay, I am a small animal veterinarian but I breed Australian stock horses. Uh, got into Australian stock horses because I played a speed event, polo cross, and I went through every breed in America and I couldn't get the stamina or the brains that I needed. So I thought, what the heck, I'm gonna go to Australia where the game came from and I'm gonna talk to them about what they ride. So I went over and talked to them and thought, and they were thrilled. They thought, oh goodness, we've got a toehold in America. I said, N- I don't, I don't wanna be your biggest breeder in America. I just want to breed good polo cross horses. And 20 years later, I'm the biggest breeder <laughs> of Australian stock horses in the United States, which is not saying much. There's not a lot of them on the ground here. But that's how I got into it, for for horses at any rate. Yeah, and you're a vet also, right? Mm-hmm. Small animal practitioner. And have been practicing? For a few years. I hate to say this. I, I competed with dinosaurs for space on the earth when I started out in 1980. So, yeah, it's been 44 years at this point. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a long time. It's been a while. It's been yeah. a while. I, it's, it's so creepy. I have clients who come in and say, and they're an adult. They have small children of their own. And they say, I have no memory of owning a pet that you haven't been my family's veterinarian. 
Which oh, that's is funny. That it is gross. <laughs> it's I'm it's like, funny. Okay, you could have gone all through this entire visit and not said that. <laughs> you could have just left that yeah, out and yeah. I would have been totally fine. Okay, I'm really old. Okay. <laughs> so coming from a speed event mm-hmm. and, you know, that that's what brings you into stock, uh, Australian stock courses. I'm guessing that brings some challenges when you come over to work in equitation with the stock courses. Oh, it it's what drew me at first because it had a speed phase. That was the crack. Come, Gilly, you can go fast again. But and and the slowing down, the dressage. Ugh. It was. I, I thought I had no history in the dressage world, and my when I went to observe it or think about participating in it. It bored me to tears, and um, I, I didn't understand it. I had a difficult time relating to it. So, But when I learned that it was an integral part of this sport, I thought, okay, you, you, you have to get a grasp on this. And the, and the more that I have worked with it, as long as I regard it as these are the movements and steps that your horse must be able to master to effectively work and safely work cattle, then I'm like, okay, okay. Because you get to cattle, you're getting closer to speed. So <laughs> Yeah, then, you're, then your brain wraps around it. Yes, it, it becomes acceptable when you realize you get through the dressage phase, you apply those dressage movements to ease of handling, and in speed they tell you, eh, you can do it any way you want to, do obstacles correctly and book it. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's fun. I it mean, is way fun. Yeah, and fun to watch. Yeah. When when you get one that's quick and can do it, the audience loves it. Yeah. Aside from the challenges, obviously, coming in, what qualities do the Australian stock horse bring to working equitation? They're, they're strong points. The motto of the breed is the breed for every need. So the horse was developed as a breed to fulfill work demands, uh, they were expected to work all week long on the equivalent of what we call our ranches. They then, on the weekends, were often ridden to whatever local entertainment would would be occurring, and that's called camp draft for the most part in Australia. When they're at the camp draft, they're expected to be ridden by every member in the family, from very young children to the adults, and they compete in different divisions in that. Then they're to be ridden home, and they work the next day. They have unusually high levels of stamina. They're cowy as can be. They are incredibly fast and they are athletic as a rule. So when I began breeding them, I was faced with the challenge of how could I showcase how incredibly versatile this breed was. I didn't have the money to hire a reining trainer, a cattle trainer, a dressage trainer. <laughs> I was taking all my money to feed the horses. And so when I encountered working equitation and it had four separate phases and these horses had the potential to, to excel and shine in every one of those phases, I thought, oh my God, this thing was created for stock horses. But that's before I met Antonio Vincente and he told me it was only made for Lusitanos. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, keeping it, keeping it real. It sounds like, yeah, yeah. we don't agree. <laughs> what horses do you currently have showing in working equitation? Currently I have a 12 year old mare late to the party in the, in the past I've had several others, but as soon as the mares got a win record, I retired them to the broodmare band 
And so we only have one. Kiki's getting ready to move into and is competing in L6. Um, uh, but for younger horses, I have three that are like in L1, and I have a younger one in L2 three this year and I have a rider who will be moving also into L3 so I've got younger horses riding now if it was a gelding and it showed any real talent unfortunately I sold it because it didn't have a uterus so if you have a uterus and you've got a win record you're in the broodmare band and so we're kind of at a at a stage where I've got young ones coming that I know are going to be super talented but um, they're not at uh, any kind of upper level work party's the only one doing upper level work right now okay yeah and I've had the pleasure of riding this mare. Mm-hmm. Very nice mare. Thank Very you. Very nice Thank mare. Thank you. And you want to talk about, for, for the listeners, you want to talk about speed, stamina, power. I mean, this, this mare has it. She's a dream boat, let me tell you. <laughs> well, that's very nice. She's, she's been the horse of a lifetime for Kiki. Kiki's, Kiki's, Kiki's one and one and one on her. And the mare just keeps gaining in strength. And she and Kiki started learning working equitation at the same time and as kiki learned the mare learned and they just go from strength to strength yeah yeah i i I can see that for sure so since you don't do anything halfway (laughs) seems like just just jump off the bridge okay how are you now involved in working equitation here in the u.s because because you couldn't just send one horse off and and do a little showing on the side i am currently involved um, on the licensed officials committee for usawe i am on the international committee which is why we're here today i host schooling shows i host license shows i host practice days at my property i i I do what I can. I, when I have a horse that can help somebody and that person I want to help has the skills and the hands that I trust to be on my horse, I'll loan my horses out. I, I like the sport. I believe in the sport. And when people show some talent or inclination, I'm happy to help them out with what I can if I can. Yeah, absolutely. And for an event like this where we have, you know, the upper level riders coming from around the country, uh, to ride, I would think, you know, being able to loan your horse out, that's that's an important part to make something like this work. Well, there's people out there that have got the skill and talent. They just don't have the ride. And if I've got the ride and the, and the mare can handle the work. Now, we worked hard to make sure she was fit enough to take multiple rides here. But the breed is designed to have the stamina to do the work. I mean, it's just when I send them off to be started, I tell my my people, the trainers at Stardom, don't think you're going to ride these horses down and make them tired because they'll drop dead before that works. You're going to have to think to train these horses because they won't make it easy for you. Yeah. Clever. Eh, well, I don't think the trainers love it, but <laughs> that's what I like about them. Yeah. So now tell us a little bit about how this event came about. I'm, this is something I was very excited about. I attended a judge's seminar in June, uh, put, put on by the License Officials Committee. And that was the first time I met Jose and was very, very impressed. I mean, and he had so much knowledge to share with us and bring from Huawei and the international level and bring it here to, to us in America. Um, and I was looking forward to more events like that. And at the time, the only events that I knew of were through the judges program. 
Yeah, through the Licensed Officials Program. Yeah, so so how did this event come about with the International Committee? This is a relatively new committee. This committee wasn't even created till uh, the end of uh, 22. There is an international organization for working equitation. It's called the World Association of Working Equitation. That association is, is uh, headquartered in Portugal and uh, has now 24 countries that are part of it. Um, the World Association of Working Equitation, or Huawei, would very much like to grow to the point where they could become a recognized sport, recognized by the FEI. Are there people who dream that working equitation would eventually become an Olympic sport? Yes, there are, and there are people out there working towards that. USA Working Equitation was recognized by Huawei as an entity that was reputable and had goals that aligned with Huawei, they told us that they wanted us now to concentrate on developing riders who were of a caliber that they could go to an international competition and compete well there. So this major organization, USAWE, created the International Committee to develop a program out of thin air. <laughs> there was nothing in existence. And uh, gave us a job of educating and providing competition opportunities for upper-level riders with an eye towards creating a team that we could send overseas to, to individual countries <coughs> and to uh, Europe for international competitions on a, on a huge worldwide uh, platform. So you got to start somewhere. And what could I do? I could create a clinic, and we called the clinic the Train to Win Clinic, and opened it up from L4 to Masters, which is L7. People who are riding in L4 cannot participate in the actual program itself, and the part of that is because I've got a deadline. I have to have a team of riders that are competent by 2026. That means in 2024, you have to be competing at L5, and by 2025, you have to be competing at L6, by the end of 2025, you have to have your master's program together, and that's where people have to develop their own pattern of the required movements and set it to music. So you have to give me your movements, your music, and I have to have that by the end of 2025, and you need to be competing at master's through 2026. So it's, it's a steep, steep curve on a very short timeline, but that's what we had till the next international competition. So we opened it up, the clinics, to L4, but for right now, it needs to be L5 and above with this 2026. I'm not saying that you couldn't be an L4 rider wanting to compete in the 2030 international competitions, because for adults, these competitions happen every four years. They do have international competitions for kids, for children, for youth, um, and absolutely, the International Committee wants to, to work towards developing programs for young children or younger riders as well. Right now, there is not a firm timeline for when those events occur. I, th I think they've kind of been the stepchild for Huawei, but there's a new group of people coming up that really want to promote youth events. And I would probably think that in the long run, you would count on having the adults every four years and the children every four years, but with two years between events. So for right now, we're only putting on the train to win clinics for adults, but sit tight. I'm going to work to start those for kids as well. Oh, that's exciting. 
So the obviously we have Jose Benito here again. Mm -hmm. What did it look like to go from the event with him at the judges seminar? You know, he's here to train judges. Mm -hmm. How did this come about to have him here to train our riders? Well, I had to start and he was the closest Huawei judge that I could get to. <laughs> and so immediately after, poor guy, immediately after the June event, we contacted him and said, would you be willing to come back in 2024? He is so gracious and so generous with his time. And he said, of course, but I'm a working veterinarian and we're gonna be going into, and he works on horses and does repro. And he said, we're gonna be going into breeding season. So I can come the first part of January, and I can come after July the 4th. But for the rest of the time, I can't travel because I've got to be at home dealing with these horses. And I said, you got it. We will make it happen. And that is how we came to be in this windy arena in the middle of winter because <laughs> that was when he said he, would, he could come, and by God, I was going to make it happen. So um, this clinic came about. I need to put on clinics in areas of the country that are accessible. I can't put on a central clinic, so I needed to create one for the east, the west, and the central area. This one will be the event, the train to win clinic for the central portion of the United States. The next one's scheduled for July in Southern California, and the third one is scheduled for early October in, in Tennessee. Next year, we will probably have them in different locations, trying to, again, east, central, west, uh, but still trying to provide equal opportunity for access from the, from the riders around the country. There is no time that a rider who wants to participate at this level of competition is going to be able to have life be easy. It's always going to involve a determined effort to get to where these events are going to happen and a dedication to trying to find the time off for the job that pays your bills, the real world to be able to come here and take the time to attend these things. So we will do the best we can to make them as accessible as, as possible, but it's always going to take a real effort on the people who want to do it to get there and participate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that makes a lot of sense. You don't, you don't go to ride in the European championships by doing what's handy. <laughs> what's, <laughs> It'd be nice. It'd be really nice. I'd love it. But we're just too big. We're just too big and we're spread too far apart. So it'll, it'll take a little bit of time. That makes sense. So you mentioned two components for the International Committee. Remind me, is it education and? It's education and competition opportunities. And competition, okay. So, and, but an important part of that is it's very important that the membership of USAWE understands that the International Committee has a goal to provide education for upper-level riders, but is also dedicated to trying to make sure that same information filters down to the lower levels and beginning riders by offering auditing opportunities. If, if you're an L1 rider and you want to learn what the big guys need to do, if you want to learn how to win at L1, come to one of these. Sit to it. Listen to what these people are telling you what to do. Get the, the notebook of, of what the judges want to see. If you are a trainer and you want to have an opportunity to become a better trainer, come to one of these and audits. It's incredible information coming from the best of the best. 
Yeah, and that and that makes perfect sense. You know why why aim for L two when you can look at the master level well, and be are, learning from there. There are some people who are who own horses and whose only goal is to compete effectively at L two. They don't have any desire to move up. Even those riders could benefit from coming to. The, they could become the best L two rider that they can be. So it's so it's not geared for just a small group of especially talented people that have especially talented horses. Anybody could benefit from coming and auditing one of these. And we'd like you to come. Yeah, absolutely. And I can say I was fortunate enough to get to ride with Jose. And I had several of my friends that I compete with in Kansas in particular. Mm -hmm. I think Kansas, Mm -hmm. we we had a lot of Kansas Kansas people. Kansas sent a big contingent of this, and they were lifesavers in terms of helping operate in terms of duties that have to be done. They were very generous in volunteering to help. Well, shout out to Working Equitation Kansas. Yes, that's right. And uh, But we, we had so many of them come out to audit. You know, maybe they haven't shown L4. Maybe they were interested in riding, but they wanted to come and learn. And the enthusiasm from all of your auditors and the dedication, you know, it, it's cold out. It's very cold. <laughs> it, it's warmer today. I don't think I have worn this many layers of clothing for this long. And I moved to Texas from Connecticut where it has a winter. I can't remember having been this cold. And people sat through this day after day. We did have some propane heaters. I don't want you to think I was trying to really make them sick no it was cold and they were nice it was cold and people sat through it and my gosh they've been so the feedback that i'm getting has been so positive in terms of what what the quality of information that people were getting from this and how much they were able to learn and go back the the writers were challenged with intense 50-minute rides and they were a big workout for the horse, and they were a big workout for the rider. And it was hard for some riders to get through that 50-minute lesson. I can attest to this, <laughs> the, the hard work here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and phenomenal, but it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work, and, and it was kind of one of those things when you're the host to say, hmm, note to self, might warn the next people who want us to attend these <laughs> that they need to be fairly fit themselves, let alone their horse. They themselves need to be fairly fit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this has been an amazing opportunity for all riders, all auditors. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this event? I'd like to say, number one, Jose Benito is is a working veterinarian, and he is a practicing judge. And he has taken time off from his personal life, his career, and his judging obligations to come over here. He has been the most gracious, the most informative, the most even-tempered individual. I thought he was on medication because he's been so good and so, so nice. patient. Yes, so, so patient. patient. And um, English is not his first language. And my gosh, he came over here and he's done beautifully. I, I literally cannot recommend this individual high enough and was wandering around here today and I thought to myself you have to send something to Huawei about how very much you appreciate the work he's done here in the United States and how happy you are to be able to utilize his knowledge and how grateful you are that he's so gracious in sharing his knowledge when a lot of times 
we're just not even understanding the language. We're just not at the level that he's at right now. We'll get there, but he's been wonderful. And when you come to putting on an event, you know it can't be a one-person thing. It takes so much input from everybody. The International Committee tried to cover all possible angles, and of course there were inevitably some that didn't get covered. And we had people that were gracious enough who paid money to participate as auditors. They didn't plan to come here and shovel the poop off of the arena, and they did it for me so we didn't get in trouble with the hosts or the owners of the facility. I've had people who ran the Grocha. I've had uh, the saint of Dion... Um, Newton, who ran my office for me, and I, she she didn't know that was in the cards for her and stepped up and was so helpful with this. There's a lot of people that I could mention, but again, it takes a group. It's going to continue to take a group. If anyone is listening to this and you ever think, oh my gosh, I'd love to host one of those things here, we would love for you to provide a ground crew. <laughs> because we didn't have one at this, and we scrambled. It just took a lot from everybody, and I, I cannot thank them enough. That's awesome. And working equitation, something we hear over and over and over again, the people. The people. They're great. It, it, it is it's a passion for people, and it, it's fun, and it's challenging, and it is the safest sport that I know of for horses, we don't let them compete before they are four, so I can't be ruining a, a two-year-old baby's mind. I have to take it slow. You can't progress up the levels until the horses are aged safely enough to be able to move up. It's, it's a wonderful sport for the horses, and it's a sport that these horses can. You're not going to see a star at five that gets burned out by the time that they're nine or ten. These horses that are good at five are going to be astounding when they are 10 or 12. So we save the horses physically and mentally, and it continues to provide a challenge for riders. The higher up you go, the more more like a chess game it gets. There's so much strategy involved in it. At first you thought, if I could just close that gate, I'd be a genius. And <laughs> at this clinic today, he talks about the transitions. I need a transition 15 feet out from the gate. I need to have a good walk 15 feet to the gate. I need to have a quarter pirouette at the gate. I need an absolute halt and immobility for three seconds. I got to get through the damn gate. <laughs> I got to have a halt and immobility on the other side of the gate. And then I have to have a collected canter off. And when we started, we never dreamed that it was that level of complexity to get really hard, high international scores. We see it now. He's come here and he shaved. He shared it with us. And um, people are going to go home and really work on a lot more complex things, both in their own personal rides and in training and educating others. So it's it's been huge. It's been great. Yeah. And just for me personally, preparation. Preparation. He wants you thinking ahead is, is one of my takeaways. And mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll be talking to other other riders and people who participated in this event that the international committee put on. Um, but for me, definitely preparation has been a huge, a huge thing that, which, which he has reinforced forcefully many <laughs> yes. times within yes. a, within yeah. a given ride. <laughs> yeah. So kindly yes. and so insistently. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I said that before. <laughs> As I said. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's he's great. He's really good. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of patience in repeating himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we're going to move on to some of our what we call rapid fire questions. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know how rapid I can be, but. Okay. I'm set. Let's are you, go. Are you geared up? Let's okay. go. What is your favorite obstacle? I don't compete in working equitation. I'm the guy that puts on the show and underwrites stuff, but I really, another one of the hats I wear is I take photographs and I enjoy, I love it taking the photographs and I like getting them to the riders because people so seldom see themselves on the horse when they get a cool photograph of themselves, it makes their day. So I'd have to say, what is my favorite art, uh, obstacle to photograph? More than likely is gonna be the jump because if I'm, if I'm right, I can get the bascule. I can get some amazingly funny fails. <laughs> I, I have a photograph of someone who is relatively high in the hierarchy of this organization who shall remain nameless. And they, look, I didn't even say the gender, um, are not particularly fond of jumping. And I have a photograph of their horse planted square on the ground front feet over the jump, rear feet on the other side of the jump. There has clearly been no lift, very little forward momentum. It doesn't look like she'll ever get past the jump. Oops, I said a gender. Um, so I get some funny pictures at the jump some and some cool, cool, cool ones where when it goes right is the best, best picture. You get the bascule and that excitement in the rider's face. It's great. I, I think I got to see this infamous picture. Yes, uh, yes, we that, used it in, that was in some of our... graciously shared by the writer yes, in that, question. Yes, that writer's really fair about letting us show it because it's funny. It's really funny. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What's the toughest obstacle? And again, you don't ride, but you see your horses. You have you have horses showing, and you and you watch a lot of competition. What's the toughest obstacle? If uh, and routinely, and again, this goes back. It does go back to f- photography because so few horses. Uh, do them well and I'd have to say the two of them one is the triple barrels and the other one is the double slalom because so often there is a failure in the gate whether whether it's a trot or whether it's a canter those are very very difficult obstacles as far as balance and rhythm and you'll be having the triple barrels you might have two great barrels at the first and you lose it at the last or the same is true in you as a rider, they'll break your heart. You'll make it through the first three poles on the double slalom and everything goes to pieces after that. So so those two for me, pretty much equally difficult. Yeah, yeah. Not That's never happened to me. It's <laughs> no, 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 I've, I've never time. seen you so struggle in those. I've never seen you struggle in those. What is the best moment you've had in working equitation? Because we, we all know horses bring heartbreak. What's What's the best moment you've had? Well, you know, you, you, if you're a breeder, you'd kind of like to see one of yours do well. You'd kind of like to, to, you think when they're on the ground and you watch them as a baby and you think, oh my God, look at you. You might be kind of shiny. And then they get ugly when they're 18 months old. And then they come back out of it on the other side at 24 months. And they begin to go into training. It is so slow in this sport, of course, doesn't even let them start until they're four. But when they win... And, and people are like, you know, hey, that's kind of cool. I, w- I would say Party has won regional and national awards. She has competed at different levels. Um, but I think if you really want to say anything, when I get a Huawei judge that says to me, hey, 
That's a pretty good horse. That's a really nice mare you have. And she's not, as anybody who's seen her, she's not particularly stunning in her physical appearance. She's very unprepossessing when you first see her. And I've had many judges tell me, say, oh, little brown horse. Well, <laughs> and then they walk away later. But it's really, really nice when a Huawei judge says this is a very, very good mare. So for a, for a breeder, it can't get much better than that. Yeah, I bet. I bet. What is the best DQ? And again, uh, maybe for one of your horses, what's, what's the best one? I, you know, I'm not a rider. If you talk about horses breaking my heart, the riders will break your heart when you're the owner of the horse. Who knew? <laughs> They'll do it for you. Okay, so we're at Haras, and this is ancient history and working equitation now. But at that time, the and, and Raphael uh, was a breeder of Lusitano's, and he put a very, very large amount of money into the competition that his stud offered. He put $80,000 in prize money into it. And to begin to win novice, you could win $5,000. Once again, Kiki's riding party. And she's done. She knocked it out of the park in dressage. And she <laughs> she's done beautifully in ease of handling. They're taking first. All she has to do to win $5,000 is to sit on the horse and make it through speed. That's all you got to do. She's already taken her own personal horse through the speed course ahead of mine, and she's done every obstacle on that horse and, and got a pretty good time, but she wasn't good enough to beat party. So she's riding, 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 and she's rocking it, and the time is respectable, and then she rides right past the gate, the gate that she's already done in speed on her own horse. But for $5,000 for my horse, <laughs> she cruised on by. And I thought, easy come, easy go. <laughs> the best. That's a, that's a pretty good DQ right there. <laughs> it was a major DQ. <laughs> it was so major. We'll, we'll have to have Kiki on to hear her <laughs> side of the story. <laughs> yes. Well, she admits it. She, she knows. She has a good another DQ in Las Vegas as well. What do you love most about this sport? I love that we take care of the horses. Think about it. I'm a veterinarian. I breed horses. It's all about, for me, the animal welfare. Will I push my horses? Did I bring party here knowing that she was going to haul four hours and ride two very strenuous lessons only two hours apart? Yes, that's a big ask. She's staying in a stall when she normally has a 20-acre pasture to roam in. But I treat her very well. I take care of her very well. I make sure she's fit, and then I ask her and expect her to work. This is what she gives back for what I do for her. I keep her absolutely safe, but the sport is designed to keep horses safe um, while letting them showcase incredible athletic talent. So, uh, I, and, and I think working equitation provides the base education for any discipline that you ever, any wanted to go into. Do you want to go into competition dressage? Well, Learn, start with working equitation. Where it is not competition dressage, you could call it dressage light if you wanted to, but if you wanted to get serious and progress on from there, you could do it. If you wanted to work cattle, it's, it's the intro to coordinated education for how to stay safe, safe and upright working cattle. If you wanted to do a speed event and you wanted to put a decent handle on your horse so that when you needed to do a, a zip, to get out of the way of an oncoming horse or when I needed to hold a horse and continue to move on down the field, 
working equitation gives your horse the basic training to have an incredible handle on it. I, I just think it's a wonderful educational opportunity for the horse as well as a showcase for the horse. Absolutely. And a lot of us coming into working equitation, since it's relatively young here in the United States, we think of working equitation as the second discipline for all of us. Second, maybe even third, fourth, mm. fifth discipline. And it's, and it's often second, third, fourth, fifth career for the horses too. Absolutely. And so, but to hear you describe it as, you know, this, this could be a great jumping off point, a great way to round out your horse and prepare it for its future, maybe in a different career. Yes. That's amazing. No, and it's, but it's what I think. I, I, I look at it and think, how could you offer your horse a better education? I think it's great. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and do this podcast episode, this interview for us. And And now I'm famous, right? Now you're famous, yeah, for the millions of listeners out there. Yes, yeah. And thank you. We would like to say thank you to the International Committee as a whole and Jose Benito, obviously, providing. He's the best. He's the best. Stellar. Stellar He set a very high bar for anybody that comes behind him on the clinics that we put on. Yeah, I I won't accept any less, Kelly. (laughs) I won't accept any less. I'll keep that in mind. What would Seth like? That I'm sure that's the only consideration. It, oh, it's, it's, it's an overriding concern. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much again. Okay. Take it easy. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow Everything Working Equitation for more content. Until next time, keep learning and ride well.